0: Pete? Hey? Hello there. How are you? I'm well. How are you?
1: Good, good. I've got a I've got a confession to make. Yeah. I can't count.
0: <laughs> Was it six o'clock?
1: No, no, no. I went back and counted the number of podcasts we've released. <laughs> yeah. This is actually lucky episode thirteen. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Yes. Did we think we hit it last time, did we? <laughs> We did, but you Ah. weren't on
1: that podcast because you had some problems with Telstra.
0: So that was the unlucky podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So um, this week we have a very special guest, uh, someone who I like very much and have worked with uh, a lot over the years. Um, Her name is Jo Robertson and here she
0: is.
2: Hello, Peter.
0: Hello, Jo. Welcome.
2: Thank you very much.
1: So uh, before we go ahead, I want... Uh, Pete, I'm going to spring a bit of a surprise on you again. Oh, well. <laughs> so, again, I love it. Yep. <laughs> Joe's from Victoria, not too far away from where you live.
0: Oh, wow. Where from, Joe?
2: I I grew up in Albury, Wodonga on the border.
0: Okay. Yep, where just up you? the road.
2: Where are you?
0: Well, I'm talking to you from sunny, in brackets, not very Seymour. <laughs>
2: ah, not far at all.
0: Yeah, just up the road. Yeah, In fact, course. I was in Albury a couple of months ago and thought to myself – now this, have you been to Albury before, Leon?
1: I drove through it when I drove from Sydney to Melbourne once.
0: Okay, that does not count. <laughs> um, Actually, no, no, I lied.
1: I stayed there one night. I've got an uncle that used to live there.
0: I've got uh, I've got two stories about Albury, but I won't bore you with both of them today. But <laughs> when I was in Albury a few months ago, um, so you need to use a bit of artistic license with this one, Joe. Right,
2: but. Yeah.
0: I had just recently been in Singapore at the time and although Singapore's a an elevated city mm-hmm. I found some similarities with Aubrey and Singapore with all the little back walkways and mm, the yeah. new um niche shopping complexes and I don't know it just it reminded me of it
2: yeah that in the CBD in Aubrey there in the back back docks
0: yeah yeah I, I'm probably the only person who's ever thought that, but um, I've yeah, never just, heard that
1: before. No, no. that I'm sure you haven't.
0: You probably <laughs> you're never the
1: heard that, You're the only person that can do that. I mean, you're constantly do, doing it with Dubai and Darwin, and as we learnt the other day when we uh, spoke to Andrew, um, he couldn't make that connection either.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, maybe it's just my wacky way of looking at things. I don't know, but I, I drove around that day and, and noted that. The, the city's really grown up since the last time I had been there yeah. and I just saw there was, there was lots of these little trendy cafes and, you know, I suppose similar to Melbourne in a way where you can go down these little lanes that that back in the day were, you know, just for removing rubbish and waste mm-hmm. and stuff but now the back door opens up to a cafe and little shopping complexes and I, I just thought that, that really... Uh, well, that Aubrey had evolved a lot.
2: Yeah,
1: it has. It sure has. Well, mate, um, let's ask Jo about her background and uh, and and we'll go from there. Sure.
2: Okay. Well, I grew up in Wodonga on the Victorian side of the border. Um, I finished uni in uh, Wodonga in 1999, and had a friend who had moved to Darwin. And um, she floated this idea of coming up and having a look around. And as a good farm girl from the country, it had never really uh, been on my radar to leave home. But, um, yeah, I I came up to Darwin in 2000 with uh, one suitcase and I've never left. So that was uh, when I was 21. I've just turned 40. So I've been, been around for quite a while.
1: Uh, I actually came up to Darwin when I was 21 too. So oh, we have that in common. Twins. <laughs> <laughs> and so what did you do when you got up here?
2: So I uh, had been working at Coles for a while when I was at uni. So the regional manager had moved up here. So I did a few shifts at Coles to get me through. But um, I soon had a job with DMR Consulting, which is now Fujitsu Um, that consults to the government doing various communication and IT things. So within a a month, I had um, a job as a comms consultant working for the Department of Education uh, and then the Department of Health where I just went in and with the project team and helped roll out some um, technology programs and things in in the education department. So, yeah, I very quickly learnt that um, Darwin is very much the land of opportunity. You can have a crack at something without necessarily having four bits of paper to back you up. And as long as you can have a bit of go about you and and get some runs on the board, I found that just kept snowballing for me
1: and off I went. And so what what exactly did you do between then and what you're doing now? A
2: few different things. So um, I stayed with that company for a while. Uh, When I left there, I went to the NT News for a while, funnily enough, selling advertising. Uh, Then I went to another company writing websites before I joined the government. So I came in um, to the government with the Department of Education doing sort of short-term projects but my background or my degree was in uh, business with a major in marketing so I thought I better grow up and start doing something that related to that study a little bit. So I started with um, a government agency in communications uh, which moved me into Tourism NT which was one of my best jobs ever where I was its um, copywriter for five years. So I would write travel articles and host media for meals and bring journos up from south to come and experience the territory. Um, From that point, after five years there, my now husband and I went travelling over in in London and Europe for a few months Um, and then I came back and started with the Department of the Chief Minister. Um, It was at the time when the waterfront was just opening and I got a job as the marketing officer for the Darwin Convention Centre. So, yeah, that's sort of where things kicked off for me in terms of government communications properly. Um, I managed the marketing for the opening of that and then moved into the marketing manager position of DCM for a few years. But it was a shift there, um, a significant shift in terms of my offering and what I do because while I was running marketing campaigns, I was finding myself, as I always have been, increasingly drawn to the editorial side of things so you know writing the content and editing things and as the department of the chief minister's marketing manager we would farm out a lot of that work to consultants around town and I was finding that um, I wanted to be on that side of the fence because the you know that work that editing is has always been uh, something that I love and writing so, yeah, I at what point was that? That was about six, seven years ago. I decided to jump the fence and leave my secure government job and go out on my own doing that very thing.
1: And what? What was the name of the business you started? Yeah,
2: so my business is called Communicate NT. It started out mostly as a writing and editing consultancy where I would work uh, a lot to government, working on (laughs) um, editing government reports and things like that. Um, Over the years, that focus has shifted quite a bit. Um, to what I'm doing now. It actually started, um, my husband and I were invited to a good friend's wedding in Nullumboy. And there we met um, some very well-known trainers in Australia, uh, Darren and Al, who run um, workshops all around the place. And we, after a day's fishing at Gove, we sat down for a beer and, um, you know, as you do, started talking about what, what we do. And I was telling Darren and Ali about, you know, my work as a as a writing person, as a contract editor. And they very, or Darren actually very quickly said, well, you need to be in training. You need to be training people. And it's not something I'd ever, you know, even half considered. But he explained that if you have a, a skill and a passion that's saleable, um, that's how you might really build a business. And so... I took that on board and it appealed to me and put together my first workshop back in, it would have been six years ago, called Punctuation Unpacked. And that's still my flagship course today uh, that I've now run for more than 5,000 people here and in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, all over the place, where I'm basically teaching people the basics of writing. (laughs) <laughs> um how to use apostrophes and commas and semicolons, semicolons as <laughs> you, um, are other champion of Leon. Um but you know, when to use capital letters, how to make writing professional and consistent and correct. Because unfortunately, um, my study since then has shown me that this in the 70s there was a shift around this stuff in Australian schools where um The parts of speech lesson, the proper grammar lesson was removed in favour of kids being creative and telling a story. So most of us that are younger than, say, my grandma missed out on that intense grammar lesson that shows the ins and outs and the background of why we do what we do. So lots of people, whether they're in government or not, rely on Microsoft Word or a cluey person in the office to get things right. But. Increasingly, we're not getting that stuff right, so I've found there's a big call and a big you know opening for me to go in and help people with the nuts and bolts and the basics to get it right.
1: Pete, I know you're probably that you're going to explode uh, so I'll <laughs> let you go first.
0: Oh man, <laughs> Firstly, if we haven't met before Joe, I'll be dumbfounded <laughs> um, but uh, all that aside, <clears throat> gee. My my wife's a journalist, and Uh she's the punctuation Nazi in our family.
2: Oh, we'd be Uh,
0: good friends. Yeah, and and look, I'm pretty good with the English, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll tell you what, it's uh, I've got lots of kids, too many to mention. But (laughs) it's I was only just saying to someone earlier today. It's it's amazing how complex the English language is, and when you've got young ones around and you're trying to teach them and, and as I say to them all the time, listen, you're just going to have to know this word. There's mm-hmm. no rhyme nor reason for why it's spelt this way. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to know it. Yep. And, and then when you add in punctuation, now, um, I think it was Leon I mentioned this to the other day. I a while ago I put Grammarly on my computer.
2: Yeah.
0: I nearly threw it out the window.
2: Yeah. I lasted
0: um, twelve minutes with grammarly, yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, and of course it's it's um slanted towards American English, which also doesn't help, but um, it's a lost art, so mm. well done for having the patience to get out there and try and teach people this stuff. Thank you um, because you know spelling is one thing, but then there's the punctuation, which is a, a another ball game altogether, yeah. Yep. So how do you not get frustrated?
2: Uh, it's just something that I've learnt to switch off. And knowing that it's, in Australia at least, it's no one's fault that we don't really have these skills. We actually weren't given the proper lesson. So take a measure of that. I guess I just shut one eye when I'm looking at Facebook and get the gist <laughs> of what they're saying. But, um yeah, it, it can be a bit frustrating. But for me, the frustrating thing is when um, government agencies and corp- big corporates should know better. Um, that's when we, we need to step in. And I guess that's who my workshops are for. It's for government teams who need to produce um, public-facing documents that can't have those basic errors in them. And that's um, the majority of my clientele, I guess.
0: So so that's a bugbear of mine. Um, and it happens. I'd suggest every day of my life, yeah. Where I get a document of some description, and I'm like, that there's actually a spelling error, yeah. or worse still, a punctuation error. Yeah. But it's it's impossible to stamp it out, right? No.
2: Yeah. I I think it probably is impossible because I think, in my experience, um, either standards are falling, or we're just not caring as much. Um, on the whole yeah. you know, with the texting and the social media and the abbreviations that have become the norm um, that's creeping into professional communication as well um, yeah. it's by far one of the most common comments that my participants raise in workshops that we run like do you think in 10 years we'll be speaking in emojis and we'll be speaking in two-letter words to mean things and i vomit in my own mouth when I think about that being the case. But who knows, you know, but it is becoming a lost
0: art, as you say, which is scary. Yeah, it is. That that was where I was going to go with that is how does someone like you deal with this um, or sort of, I guess, new age speaking and spelling? (laughs) Because it's sometimes I have to reread, even though the sentence is, half the length of what it used to be. I have to reread it to work out what the hell they mean.
2: Yeah, I'm the same. I refuse to use it myself. I won't, you know, all my text messages are properly punctuated. I don't (laughs) use shortened versions of things. But, um, yeah, I guess it's just rolling with the times and and keeping up with it. But I certainly wouldn't be, um, I'm not doing it myself. I refuse to. Yeah, well,
0: I I think... um... Given what you do, it it would have you stand out when, when you are communicating as well.
2: Yeah, I think so. And the other side to it is apart from the punctuation session, I also launched um, a few years ago a session on writing in plain English, which is another way that, um, you know, we're helping, I'm helping government agencies and big corporates just cut out that jargon and the crap and the big 12-letter words in favour of just speaking simply and clearly to people, which I think helps things stand out as well in, in that simple and clear communication, which is essential in this day and age.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I'll give you a an industry that probably irks me more than any other yep. by thinking that they're talking to the common man, but are so far out of touch, it's not funny. I saw an ad the other night and there was a girl shooting a netball and she misses the goal. Mm. And after that happens, this group of about 25 girls jump out of nowhere and they start doing this chant. And it's all about, uh, you know, um, girl power and stuff, which is great. Mm. And then because they're chanting behind her, that gives her the courage to shoot again. And she shoots the goal again and she gets it in this time. And then as soon as she shoots the goal, the Suncorp logo comes up on the screen.
2: Yeah.
0: It's an ad for a bank. Yeah. And I watch all bank ads and think, who are you appealing to? Because no one buys. If you tell me there's a new savings interest rate, I'm interested, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. But please don't create an ad as though you care about people. Mm -hmm. It's just so far out of touch. Are you dealing with industries like that?
2: Not so much banking um yet i deal with mostly it's government agencies at the moment but i'm going to start helping leon's team maybe work work with plain english a little bit more so my my on, on the lawyers um yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: i'm absolutely surprised the uh students. Pete, I'm absolutely surprised you didn't throw me under the bus because when you started going when you started going down that path about SunCorp, Joe looked at me and she's like she whispered she she mouthed lawyers to me, yeah, uh, and I well, thought, oh yeah, Pete's going to throw me under the bus, and off he went in a completely different direction.
0: The thing is, Leon, you know I don't like to be too obvious, <laughs> But
1: But uh, look, I, I'm a big, big fan of Joe and her work. I think. Uh, it just resonates so much with me on a number of levels. Um, number one is I am a little bit of a perfectionist. And also my mother was an English teacher. I don't know if you know, Pete. So I did get that education. And the first time I met Joe, and we invited her in, which is I think probably close to when you started your business. Yeah, it was
2: a long time ago. Um,
1: you know, I remember we had a bunch of lawyers around the table in our boardroom, and Joe asked us to rate ourselves as to how we thought we we, <laughs> we ranked in terms of our ability to understand punctuation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought I was being pretty good by putting, an, you know, an eight or nine down. That it's kind definitely of a nine, was a nine.
2: Yeah.
1: Mate, after the course, I was probably around about a four or a five. <laughs> And I was ashamed and shocked um, because it was such a massive eye-opener for me. And look, I I just tell you, I tell you, you know, it's just so brilliant to be able to learn how to write uh, and use punctuation properly because, I mean, you know, most lawyers are snobby um, and they think they know everything. But when you write, uh, with a very solid command of punctuation, it just puts you in a different level, mate. I agree.
0: Yeah, my my wife taught me years and years ago, it's all about short, sharp sentences. For sure.
2: I like your wife.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what, it, it shaped the way that I communicate. Um, and, you know, wherever possible, obviously you try and keep... Um, any ambiguous sort of words or or statements out of of how you write, but if you keep things short and sharp, they they really get misunderstood.
2: Sure. Exactly right.
1: Yeah. I think our lawyers need to be told that every morning, you know, instead of singing the national anthem, maybe we should be, uh, you know, uh, reminding ourselves about how to write um, like that to make it understandable. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what it is about the legal profession, but, I think part of it is insecurity. You know, you have to write so nobody understands you so that nobody really actually figures out how little you really know anyway. Or I'm very like glad that. that's you saying that, <laughs> <laughs> Um, But um, I, I think um, social media and a whole lot of other things has really had a dramatic impact on, on the legal profession and it's forcing lawyers to be more engaged and being more approachable, and um, I mean, for me, it works. It, it works. I'm, I'm happy mm-hmm. to do that. But I notice that um, a lot of uh, lawyers find that quite confronting, mm-hmm. because yeah. most people, well, not most people, but a lot of a lot of people that end up in the legal profession go there because it's a good place to hide, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, because. Um, you know, generally they like books and they like to, you know, um, read and immerse themselves in in minutiae. Um, but when it comes to actually talking to people and relating to people, it's a lot harder.
2: Yeah, and people find it refreshing, like your clients and. The public, if we're talking about the public service, they find it refreshing when we talk to them simply and clearly. Especially when we're thinking of a law firm, if you've got clients who their English isn't their native language and they have a concerning an issue that's um, frightening for them, you will stand out more and you'll be more approachable if your website is presented in plain English and if your letters to them are written in plain English and you're not bamboozling them with. 15-letter words when a three-letter word will do the job. Um, And from a public service point of view, which is sort of where my skill or my experience is, um, we, we have a duty to talk to constituents in language they understand because that's why they pay tax. And we have we have an, an obligation to speak clearly to them. And when you think about the best communicators in the world, who is your newsfeed full of, if it's Apple or whether it's the big brands, they don't talk to us in 12-letter words and 50-word sentences. Mm-hmm. They use short, snappy, engaging, conversational words and language, which is what keeps us going back. So that's it works. It works for nearly every industry. But as you say, it's the the hiding business, it's the using our convoluted language to justify our pay grade sort of thing mm. that we need to stamp out, that we need to work through and say it's actually authentic and recognisable and refreshing and, re- and memorable to speak clearly and write plainly to people.
0: Mm. You know, I remember back in the day, um, I, I think the Aussie culture has evolved Somewhat too. So I remember back in the day, in the you know in the eighties, etc. If people talked in um, complicated, were using complicated and long words, uh, there was a sort of a bit of a respect there for them. People mm. used to think, oh look, they yeah you know, they must be very smart, even mm-hmm. if they didn't know what the words meant. Yeah. But if you go around doing that nowadays, <laughs> nowadays yeah, you'll just get, oh, what a wanker! Who's exactly. this
2: guy? <laughs> <laughs> But some people didn't get that memo, Pete. Some people didn't get the memo that you sound like a wanker when you do that.
0: I know.
1: Carry on with it.
0: Some of them are situated in Mitchell Street too at the top (laughs) end, but um, that's all good.
1: So I want to to, um, give a little bit of recommendation to both of you just on the subject of of, of speaking um, posh.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> um,
1: there, there's there's a, a series uh, there's a podcast series called the Wreath Lectures. Mm-hmm. Um go to it and listen to the latest uh two lectures from um his lordship, I think it is, uh Jonathan Sumption. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant English. Mm. Brilliant English, probably doesn't I would. I found it easy to understand. I don't. I don't think he, he was talking in quite, um, you know, pompous and mm. posh language as mm-hmm. such. But what I really enjoyed most about it was the question time at the end of lecture one, when some guy got up there, and started effectively, um, kind of almost making fun of him, right, mm-hmm. of his positions. And the takedown that he delivered mm-hmm. in typical understated English wit <laughs> was just breathtaking. Love it. Yeah, I'll check that out. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, so look, what are your plans for the future, Joe?
2: So I'm starting to think about that and how I can scale things a bit or expand a little bit. I'm getting um some inquiry from people I'm meeting interstate um, to go down to other places and, and run sessions, um, hopefully some relationships with some university lecturers, which is pretty exciting. But um, in terms of my long-term plans I'm looking next to see if I can make it an online sort of offering because at the moment I run face-to-face workshops which I love because they're very engaging and it's fun and we have a lot of fun I know punctuation is a dry topic but people generally tell me they have fun um but yeah I want to look at the opportunities to scale it into more of an online package or a webinar type series that I can yeah I, love it. Yeah, I think that's where I've got to go Pete
0: John.
1: Yeah.
0: The evergreen webinar, mate. We talked about it two days ago.
1: We did. We did. Sorry,
0: Joe. I'm Hi,
1: you're doing, all
0: right. on, but I was too excited.
1: Well, I was, I was just showing Joe before this podcast all the work that you've been done doing for us on the SEO, and yeah. uh, she was quite impressed yeah, to see Ward, Ward Keller in the, uh, in the, what is it called, the three-pack? The, the three
0: Google three-pack, yeah.
1: Google three-pack. AKA also, the snack pack. The snack pack, that's the one, yes. So uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, you, you know, Joe could swap some uh, punctuation lessons with you for some. Yeah,
0: yeah. when you started talking before Joe, I was thinking, uh, this has got to go online because many exactly. people Joe can see, and you know, with the uh, look at, <clears throat> my wife's a personal trainer nowadays, or she has been in recent years, yeah. and one of the things that I say to her is, well, you can only see one person every hour, you know, maybe if you take a group, you could see five or ten, but you're limited to how many people that you see. Mm. you create some sort of, a, um, you know, an online training portal, well, then people can train whenever they want, 24 hours a day
2: yeah which i've done myself i've bought you know i'm getting back into old school um i'm studying sentence diagramming at the moment and Gosh. i've bought that very package from a lady in the us who yeah. who does that very thing and it was she did it very cleverly there was a you know a time uh, sensitive offer that I needed to buy, so I bought it. I dumped my hundred bucks on it. I still haven't used it yet, but it's sitting there.
0: We, we call it false scarcity in the business.
2: Yeah, that's right. So I, I plan. I figure I've got all the content. I'm, I, it's it's a it's something that uh, the feedback is consistently overwhelming about about how it's delivered and the, how simple the content is, but how useful it is to apply. To anything you write. So I think I'm on a winner. I just have to have the time to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: the problem. But yeah. at the end of the day, um, you know, that that's though, any sort of membership portal or or whether it's done through your own membership site or whether it's done to a uh you know a pre existing one. Mm. Um if if you get a thousand people paying uh you know ten dollars or twenty dollars each,
2: yeah
0: um that that's people you don't have to find and put in a classroom and, yep. and be in front of yourself. So yep. it's, um, it's time well spent once, once you actually get away from the fact that you're not earning anything while you're doing it, but yeah. it's the aftermath that's the important part. And uh, I was talking to Leon a couple of days ago about these evergreen webinars um, where the content remains the same and, and your business couldn't highlight that any better because yeah. – not going to suddenly need to change full stops or commas. No. Or, <laughs> it uh, ain't changing. It's the same uh, Yeah. Nah, so, uh, uh, despite how many times I say to my kids, well, actually, that word shouldn't be spelt like that, but that's how it's spelled. So, <laughs> we're just going to have to deal with it. The English aren't likely to change it anytime soon. No, I don't uh, think so. Uh, yeah, that's really exciting. Mm,
2: thank you. I'm pretty excited. I do love you know, getting up in front of people. When I, run, I ran two workshops today, back to back, I've been talking flat out for seven and a half hours and it, I'm still smiling. I really enjoy it. It's pretty jovial and laid back. And, uh, yeah, I, I get some wonderful people here in Darwin that I can hang out with for the day. So I'm very lucky, really. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to do it, to do what I do.
0: Yeah, and and the the point that you made at the start um, I don't know who the fella is and presumably you're still in touch, but if you haven't, you need to buy him a beer because um, oh, yeah. he very simply put it, you know, if you love something, you need to teach it.
2: He was right. That's Darren and Ally Hill from Pragmatic Thinking and they are now, you know, BRW's top 50 list. They've come ahead in leaps and bounds. So I was very grateful to have that early advice as I uh, routinely text them to let them know that how i feel so yeah you're right i do owe a lot to them
0: well sadly if they've been so successful that beer will have to be imported now rather yeah, than that's like right.
2: <laughs> <Indeed>. Anyway.
1: <laughs> all right well um great to have you on the podcast joe thanks for coming on thank you for
2: having me leon and pete it was lovely
1: good and uh we wish you all the best i'm sure we'll be working with you shortly too excellent and uh pete uh, I think we'll sign up from here unless you've got something else.
0: No, I'm more than happy to say goodbye to you both. All right. <laughs> <laughs> really care.
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.